Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. Welcome to this episode of Diner Talks with James. I'm James. My friends, I am super pumped to be here. We got my boy Don Finelli coming out in jest. I'm an old school friend of mine from back in my New York days, uh, but he's from Jersey and I'll hold that against him for the entire entire episode. I'm looking forward to it. Um, but uh, I'm super pumped to for you all to meet him. But my friends, we got standards out here. We got to start the show with tonight's top three, top three. Let's get it cracking. Here we go. First off, first off. All right. First off, my first, my favorite, three favorite dramas, three favorite dramas. The first two are very cliche and I don't care because they're great. Shawshank Redemption is incredible. Goodwill Hunting is amazing. The Robin Williams character in there, I actually talk about him in my speeches uh, and uh, and his character inspired me to recognize that I don't have to always be typecasted as the loud, funny dude uh, because that's what Robin Williams was for so much of his career. And then he absolutely crushed it with this role. And I was like, see, I am more. Anyway, but my favorite drama of all time uh, is uh, the reason why my boy Don Finelli and I, maybe one of the reasons why we're close, is the movie A Bronx Tale. If you've never seen A Bronx Tale, you got to check it out. And in the meantime, put him in a bedroom. All right, here we go. Up next, up next, we got the top three things I said about having a kid that I am now so far eating my words of or eating my words about. Now, we all know that everybody's like, oh, when I have a kid, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to, I'll never this at all. And so, friends, I don't even have a child yet. I mean, I do in utero, um, but still, I've already started eating my words, and here we go. First thing I said, you know what? For the first year's kid's life, it's only getting white onesies, okay? White onesies, why are we putting it on? Why are we dialing this kid up? It's quarantine. No one's going anywhere. Where's this kid going? We got to get a little bow tie. We got a little hat or something like that. No, white onesies. Just wait. Beep, bop, boop. Bart Simpson every day. We know what the kid's wearing, all right? No. No, friends. No, I have I have bought outfits. It's getting expensive. Okay, next thing is that I'm not buying this kid presents. Are you kidding me? My presence is this kid's present, all right? I'm not kidding, especially before the kid's even here. I don't even know what the kid likes, right? Are you kidding me? Then I go to Yellowstone, and I see a buffalo, a, a stuffed animal buffalo. I also saw a real buffalo while we're on the topic, and I bought it for the kid because we have a buffalo-themed nursery. I then bought this other little thing, and I bought this other little thing. What the heck? I, I'm telling you, friends, I caved like a chooch early. Anyway, the last thing, we went to Bye Bye Baby, and the most overwhelming part of Bye Bye Baby is by far the stroller section, probably why they keep it to last, because all of a sudden you round this corner, and there's these four walls of demise all the way stacked to the ceiling, all of these strollers, and I said, listen, there's no way that a stroller would be in this store if it wasn't safe for my kid. We're getting a cheap one. Then Andrew, the sales associate, made me cave like a wet suit, my friends. And we bought maybe the most expensive one in there. (laughs) Okay, great. Let me post the link to our registry. We need help. The last thing, my friends, are my three 
favorite memories with Don Finelli. My three favorite memories with Don Finelli. Uh, the first one is that uh, he randomly showed up at the end of a going away party of mine in New York City. And uh, we'll talk about our friendship on this podcast. And I'm excited for you to learn more about it because I think a lot of friendships have gone through what Don and I have gone through. Um, and uh, but uh, with that being said, with that being said, he showed up and I didn't I didn't expect him to show up. And I'm not going to lie, y'all. I started I started crying um, because he's just someone who I, I care a lot about. And it meant so much that he thought of me in that moment, even though we hadn't been hanging out as much as we had been in previous years. It was a really beautiful moment. Number two is that he and I performed again. If you've ever seen a movie of Bronxville, you get this reference. If you don't, that's OK. But he and I performed the door test, a two person improv team where we stood on stage looked at each other in silence for 30 seconds just because we're avant-garde like that. And then we jumped into an improv scene that absolutely crushed. Love it, my friends. Opening night, closing night. Shout out to the door test. We nailed it. Uh, and last but not least is very random memory because when you meet Don, uh, when you meet Don, this man was a baseball player in college. Okay. This man was a fraternity. He was a, a true frat boy. I'm not even going to call him a fraternity man. Right. And, uh, and, and so, but yet my favorite memories of Don Finelli are he and I walking around, taking pictures and discussing what aperture we want to use to shoot under random bridges in Teaneck, New Jersey. Don Finelli is a great man, and I'm really excited for you all to meet him. He and I met back when we were at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. He has since gone on to do some incredible things. Uh, he has had a number of things that he has written, accepted to film festivals across the country, maybe even internationally. He's been on television in a number of different roles on a number of different shows. He is also married to an incredibly brilliant and hysterical woman, and they recently had their first child. I don't know when you stop being new parents, is that eight months? Is that a year and a half? Is that 17 years? I have no idea. I'm going to call him a new parent though. And no matter what, I'm going to call him your new friend. My friends, let's clap it out right now for the man, the myth, the legend, Don Finelli, AKA Donnie beans, Donnie beans. <laughs> That's it. This is what James called me for so many years. Donnie beans. I called I called him Donnie Beans because at one point in time he posted on Facebook back in the day. Hey, just made a it was either like a seven bean chili or a, or a fourteen be, bean. I was, I'm sort of I don't even know what you were making. Dip. Yeah. <laughs> a lot Donnie of bean beans dip. Born. Yeah. Yes. That was. What's great, up, brother? Man. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, I'm, I'm also. I'm just like, hey, man. It's so good to talk to you. This is great. I'm like very excited to just chat with you. It was, just, it was an excuse to get together. That's really what I've been That's using right. this as. Anything right? to get me away from my kid. <laughs> new parents right here. Yeah. Do, you, do you still identify as a new parent? I don't think I'll ever stop. Like, okay, it, it, I don't think I'll ever stop feeling new. You know what I mean? Like it gets, you know, you get into some sort of routines, but those change every like two weeks because your kid's body is growing and brain is growing so fast so the moment you get used to something like all right we got some sort of routine and she wakes up at this time things change so it's like constant if you feel like you're a new parent every two weeks to a month yeah you know it's it's very yeah what does that do to your confidence like as someone who is i mean like i, I don't know you're i mean you're <laughs> 
down. Oh, sorry, you had more to that? Okay, no, keep going. No, that's it. I think the question's been answered. Down. <laughs> well, it's, I. you know, when when I had my child, I, I operated in an emotional state of like this, right? And especially mm-hmm. in the industry that we were in, you have to kind of like, um, there's a lot of rejection. You kind of get numb to the bad stuff. Mm. So you start playing numb. Once you have a kid, like your emotions, you get, you know, your fears are on a 10, your elation on a 10, right? Like the, the extremes of emotions just like went through the roof. So how do I, has my confidence went down? Yeah, so much. But also when you do something with your kid and you have that connection, mm-hmm. best feeling in the world. There's just like nothing, nothing better than it. Nothing I've done in my life. Like creatively, sorry, door test. Uh, <laughs> Come on, <laughs> except for the door test. It's all I got for the next six weeks until we yeah. have kids. Sorry, man. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you're you're uh, my uh, emotional. Um, uh, I guess what's the word? Um, scale. You know, was operating from like a four to a six because that's all I could handle. Yeah. Uh, in this industry. And to keep moving forward, right? And then once you have a kid, it's just like, no more scale. (laughs) Scale's gone. Yeah, right. Have you noticed, like, has that now bled into also, like, some of your creative work and stuff like that, too? Or do you still kind of have that, you have that thick skin over here, and over here you're like, where did that thick skin go? Why am I crying and laughing at the same time? Yeah, I guess yes and no. What what happens is the preciousness of things really fall away. I can't, I'm obviously I'm only speaking for myself, but I feel like the things I really gave a shit about in this industry and about mm-hmm. acting and about ego and about wanting to be liked. I mean, it's just like a lot of that stuff just fell off, especially now COVID. You know, I'm like, what am I really missing? What am I really? What do I really want to do? Things like that. I was like, oh, these things I thought were so precious for like a decade were not as precious as I thought they were. So rejections for some things is a little easier. For other things, it's a little hard. So I don't know. The preciousness, though, of some things is gone. Bye-bye. Yeah. Which I, but that's got to feel nice, right? I mean, especially yeah. Like on, oh, yeah. on the on the come up, on the come up, you like hang your dreams on like every next audition, and I know, I know you, I mean, or every next submission or every next whatever, uh, and it's hard. I mean, you have to develop that thick skin, right? To say people who do commercial auditions, be prepared to hear no at least fifty to seventy-five times. Be prepared to hear nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Get ready for worse than no. It's nothing. <laughs> You hear nothing, which is your no, but you think it's like, they're going to call you up and be like, they just hated you. It's like, no, they don't care. You exist. They don't care. (laughs) And that is the ego blow. That's where you go like, huh? And once you start doing enough auditions that just, they all kind of blend together. But yeah, yeah, it's the, it's the not hearing that is the tough stuff, especially Mm -hmm. sports. Anybody with a sports background used to watch tape you're used to watching all your blunders on film. You're getting better that way. You're practicing. You're, you know, this is a lonely gig and you don't get to see your tapes a lot. Now you can self tape now, you know, and right. sometimes even before COVID, you would, you would send in self tapes, but like going to a place and big casting directors, like, you think you felt good. Uh, sometimes you know you nailed it and you just don't hear anything back, you know, and then that's, and sometimes you're like, that was, 
garbage and like they really liked you and you're like what yeah nothing makes sense yeah (laughs) now when did this when did this dream happen for you brother because i mean you i mean growing up in jersey uh parents literally named don and donna you can't make it up (laughs) um growing up in jersey you go i mean you're a baseball player from the start right like a a bit yeah i played played all sports man yeah a jock jock from the jump jock from the jump man that's a good that's a good (laughs) i was a jock from the jump man yeah i played uh soccer i played for till eighth grade then started playing football uh until yeah eighth grade to senior year high school but played baseball my whole life uh basketball ran indoor track yeah. Uh, yeah. You get, a, was, you get a scholarship, right? You get a scholarship to go play that, college. That's the crazy thing. I got I got some to some smaller places. I actually walked on to my D1 place where I would play college and made the team. And uh, yeah, played for a couple of years. It was the first time in my life where me and my coach didn't really see eye to eye. He was kind of pissed I was in a fraternity, even though he was in one. And <laughs> And it was kind of, yeah, it was just like this weird kind of falling out. And then my grades were slipping. So I really needed to kind of, I, I, I started playing in summer leagues and we had a really good North Jersey summer league that I put together uh, with a couple of buddies um, that I would keep playing. But yeah, man, I played sports my whole life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I went in like elementary school. I was always like the lead in the plays. We yeah. would, like put little plays together, like second to sixth grade. <laughs> Uh-huh. I was always the lead for some reason. I was super I was I was kind of not a shy kid, but there was something about like being on stage where I like felt the most comfortable. Uh and then I didn't do that for I played music, like you yeah, probably right. know. I was on a couple bands and stuff like that. So I, I liked being on stage. I liked the creative stuff. Mm-hmm. I really like playing music. I I really loved like I really miss like playing music and stuff like that. But yeah. it was never like oh, I wanna be De Niro. You know, like since I was six, was like, I didn't know this world existed. I didn't, yeah, I, I yeah. didn't know it was like a real thing at all. Right. Yeah, for sure. But I'm curious, did you, I mean, do you remember, was there a conscious decision for you in middle school, high school to kind of like put the acting, you know, chops away and kind of drift? It was were you weren't pressured oh, into that? No. Were you pressured yeah. into it of like, oh, it was lame or your friends didn't do it? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, I was always the person in my group, if I was going to do a lame thing, my friends understood it, if that makes sense. Like, they're mm-hmm. like, oh, Don, Don will do that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> they knew they could make fun of me, and I just, like, wouldn't care. And and they always knew I was, like, musical and stuff like that. So I was always, like, walking around with a guitar. And they're like, yeah, Don, Don, Donnie just does that. Yeah, know? yeah. And I was friends with, like, everybody. You know, I kept friends with people in different grades and stuff like that. So I wasn't, like, some person off in the corner, like, playing my guitar. I just, like happily liked playing music, you know, and also liked playing sports. I don't think there was a conscious decision to be like, acting's going to go to the side. I just, it was just one of those things I did and then did sports. And it wasn't like, Oh, I really miss being on stage. I think that's where the music took over, which is like, Mm -hmm. Oh, here, I didn't realize it was a, what even a creative outlet was, if that makes sense. Like I was writing poetry. I was like, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> like you're that young. You don't, I, I at least for me, especially right. in North Jersey. Like, I think you were insinuating like, Oh, you're, well, your friends busting your balls and stuff like that. I, I wouldn't share everything with them. You know what I mean? I wasn't like, I'm going to stay home this weekend and write a novella, you know, or something like that. Like, <laughs> I, I don't think I'll I would catch share. up with you later. I got a, <laughs> yeah. I got a few more sonnets. I got to knock out. But, over here. but I would stay home and like watch a, a concert. You know, like watch a Floyd concert or something like that and mm-hmm. not do drugs 
and just like be this sober kid watching David Gilmore play the guitar and trying to like play with him. I'd play every night in the dark, you know, just but before I went to sleep, have my guitar in my hand, mm-hmm. work on riffs in the dark just to kind of get my, you know, the fingering down and all that stuff. So I was, I was really like sold on like being like, I'd rather be a rock star than like an actor, you know, that, that just wasn't in, in the cards. It wasn't yeah. until I was like 23, you know, 23, that I took like an improv class that I was like, oh, this is... there's something drawing me back to the stage. Cause I went through like hell after college. Yeah. Like, I had like six jobs. It was a nightmare. You knew me. <laughs> yeah. You knew me. I was, cause I was sleeping on your couch. Yeah. And thank uh, you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so James was kind enough to lend me his uh, dorm room uh, for a lot of the times we were going through the UCB together. Um, so those years were crazy. Those years were absolutely crazy for me because just working and then sleeping all, you know, driving, driving the Buick in, driving the uh, Buick and I'm driving my grandfather's Buick, rest in peace. Like <laughs> took God his Buick and I would drive it into the city every weekend, you know, stay for the whole weekend with James or another buddy. And, and then we just do improv all weekend and we do shows at night. And then we, we, we go to the park and do some <laughs> filming, you know, there's always a creative thing. Like I was like, oh, I'm obsessed with photography. There's something about moments I really liked. You know, being in those moments, like that's why I think we liked improv too. It's like, yeah. oh, we're getting the laughs and stuff like that. But when you're kind of cooking with somebody and you feel like you're floating on air, mm-hmm. like those are the things I was like, oh, that's that's the good stuff right there. Yeah. So was, yeah. I was Hell yeah, to get dude. To that stuff. Yeah. And it's funny because I mean, when we first met, we met uh, in, a, in an improv class, like you said, at UCB. Um, and and I immediately, especially being being from Long Island, right? Like I, I knew I knew your type quickly right i was like oh here we go with this guy over here yeah. uh benny bombats over here um and mm-hmm. uh and i was like okay what is what's what's this guy what's this guy doing what's his angle what's happening over here <laughs> why um, is he here and why is he here is he lost did he lose a bet is his girlfriend in the class and he's overprotective uh like <laughs> all good all good assumptions <laughs> um but uh and, and then <laughs> And then you open your mouth and you are, I mean, comedically brilliant, brother. Uh, I mean, you are uh, oh, thank <laughs> right? you. like the timing, uh, the timing, the your ability to dive into uh, the commitment to characters and everything like that. But I'm wondering, did you have any pushback in the beginning because of the, you know, it was it would have been easy to, to put you as a certain archetype, right? Um, did you have any pushback or were you pretty welcomed pretty quickly in that community? There wasn't pushback. There was definitely, uh, I could definitely feel like I was different. You know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, that's a lot of people's stories though. Um, uh, with UCB, you always kind of feel like an outsider. It's kind of like you got transferred to a different school. So we saw UCB <laughs> as like a junior college or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, very insular, a lot of like in, inner drama and stuff like that. I. It's not like I didn't feel welcome. I felt really fish out of water mm. because, you know, I was interacting with people for the first time that I just never seen or hung out with before. And I felt really stupid. And there's a lot of, you know, early improv, especially it used to be when we were doing it, I felt like it was very reference heavy. So it was a lot of like star Wars references. And I remember like spending weekends, like watching movies and, and, you know, being like, what the fuck are people talking about? I was like, I was so lost. I gotta buy so many comic books. Completely. <laughs> I think it helped me though. Eventually because I would just react really strongly. I learned to react really strongly and honestly. Mm-hmm. And when I started doing that, 
that's when people started laughing at me. So I thought I had to be really smart, really funny, quick, right? Really snappy. Like, I don't know. I watched like whose line is it anyway? I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) Never seen long form improv, right? Uh, So yeah, it was once I started reacting honestly as me, because I watched a lot of Ian Roberts. Ian Roberts was like, Mm. he wasn't there, but a lot of the people, like when I started watching UCB and getting more into it, funny enough, my dad was his dentist. Random. That's a whole other random thing. That is uh, one. I did not know that. That's incredible. James, I grew up. I, maybe I showed you this when you were in my, I, I, I think you were over in my house. This I, one I time. came over, I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I have a signed picture by them. I had that before I knew who they were. It was just like, oh, here's the Upright Citizens Brigade. They just came to New York. My dad's Ian's dentist. We'll give you a signed thing from Amy Poehler. And I just like had it in my room. I was like, I don't even know who these people are, but it's a signature of famous people, I think. And then I wound up there, which is bonkers. But once I started seeing like people uh, react honestly, I guess, that's when I was like, I think I'm okay. So at first it was very fish out of water. I felt like I did not belong. I felt really weird. It was yeah. hard to like, I think people were like intimidated by how I looked. Like they thought I was going to beat the shit out of them. Or like you said, they're like, what's this guy's angle? Like, why is this chooch here? And uh, so it was like a little bit like I have to prove myself. I was very nervous before every class. I just felt Mm -hmm. like, yeah, it wasn't like, get out of here. But it also wasn't like, hey, you want to join our group? (laughs) And I was also driving in from, I was also taking a bus in for the first two years. Every Sunday. I would only only take Sunday classes for like almost two years. It was only Sunday classes. Yeah. Uh, because I could take the, I would, I would just be working all week and then I could take the bus in and, uh, and then take the bus home. So didn't hang out a lot. Like didn't, wasn't in the scene. Didn't realize how important that was, mm-hmm. uh, till a couple of years later. So. Yeah. 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 It's so interesting because uh, you, uh, you know, you talked about how like it wasn't until I started reacting and kind of and like kind of finding your own niche that you felt you started getting the laughs and started feeling like, oh, maybe I can maybe I can do this. Maybe I am successful. And there's so much comparison that happens. And I know I felt a lot of that as well, because it's also interesting to see the way our insecurities show up in a in a brand new environment like that. Oh, right. Yeah. And so oh, yeah. for me, I mean, my go to this hasn't changed, by the way, unfortunately. Um, but uh, my go to is like, I'm going to play the big character over here. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just like on Robin Williams and Aladdin. Uh, every, <laughs> no matter where I had a friend like me, baby. <laughs> yeah. Regardless of the character. Um, yeah. And so but like that was uh, that was the big thing for me. That was my safe place right because for me improv improv was an escape and it was like let me be in somebody else's head for a little while let me Mm -hmm. let me live somewhere else and uh and be someone else then that was Mm -hmm. one of the things that i loved the most about it i also obviously love the laughs i came from a stand-up background which is I think a tough entry point into improv because you feel the need to set up your own joke and then hit your own joke. And so that's not the muscle that it, that improv needs you to flex though. Um, But the way that my insecurities showed up were that I was going to play a lot of really big characters and just as you pointed out that it was very reference heavy. I also felt that too. I was like, yo, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm nerdy enough, quote yeah, unquote, yeah, to be in this yeah. community uh, and and no one cares about my big old characters. What was yeah. your when, when you were feeling insecure? What was your kind of like, did you have a go to move um, or like, you know, say like I went big. Did you uh, like what, what did you often do? 
it's a, it's a good question, man. I don't know. I think it had to be big. It had to be like like um, more of like an aggro character. But as I'm saying this, I feel like my not go to, but like my downside was like to get very small and insecure and really feel the lights on my face. Mm-hmm. You know that feeling when you're like, oh Jesus, everyone's watching me and I I don't have anything. So I would just rely on like reactions and kind of saying the same thing and not adding too much to the scene. Yeah. I would freeze up a lot, especially early on, especially mm-hmm. when I just got on the stepfathers, which was this coveted team. I felt so like I had so much imposter syndrome and I would just freeze up. I would literally like be in a scene, see myself in the scene, like have an out of body experience, like be in the audience, seeing me not say anything, <laughs> be awkward <laughs> And there was just such pressure to keep up with the funny people. And once I started being like, I got to do my thing that brought me here. Uh, but I, it was probably like big nervous characters. Yeah. And then just yesing instead of yes ending. Right. Sure, like yeah. just being not like building, not building anything just because yeah. I'm like, ah, I don't know where to take this or having uh, um, a paralysis, mm-hmm. you know, on of, of decision making. Yeah. I could just say where we are. Because when I teach, you know, I've, te- I've taught so much improv, especially early improv too. I'm always like, just make any choice. Once you make some choice, your brain then has a boundary and it's so much easier for your brain to play make-believe mm-hmm. if it has some sort of boundary. And if you just go like, we're in, in an astronaut, you know, we're in the a space station and we're two astronauts. Once you do that, then your brain goes, okay. What do I know about this? But if you just never make that choice, your brain's going, what is going on? What is going on? <laughs> yeah. And it's That's hard how to I feel respond. In the cheese- yeah. 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 That's how I feel in the cheesecake factory. Right. It's just like, <laughs> it's just like, why, why is this menu so big? I don't, I've never, yeah. I don't know. I'm not a piece <laughs> faster than this. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's analysis paralysis. And, and, yeah. and it's, uh, I think that would, that's, that was my downfall. That's me at my worst in improv is like afraid to make a choice, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a lot of people's, but I would beat, beat myself up. We've talked about this before. You were on my podcast. We were two self-hating men uh, for a long time. I think I've worked on it. Uh, I've, I've listened to some great audiobooks, but, uh, but yeah, it was, I, was be- I would beat myself up so much after a show. Just like, why didn't you just make a choice? Like, why did you feel like you had to be funny there? Why did you try to – it was like getting into the ring sometimes with like – Evander Holyfield. It's like, you don't fight Evander Holyfield. Like, be the water boy. You know what I mean? Like, you don't need to be the opponent here. Uh, so ring the bell. Like, that That gets the party started. You did your job. You know what I mean? It was like always feeling like I needed to be with everybody at their level doing their thing just because I liked the camaraderie of it and wanted to challenge yeah. myself. But you also start playing, you know, really out of your zone. And that's that's a no fun that's, that's a, a no, no fun. That's a no fun. Yeah. That's a yeah. no fun. <laughs> it's true. But you know, I'd be curious, man, for you, uh, that same, that same concept of moving to a place like LA and even just kind of getting into, uh, getting deeper into the fabric of a, of a theater, like the upright citizens brigade, uh, and, and starting to spend more time with individuals who are on TV or consistently booking commercials or now all of a sudden you're pitching to so-and-so and this company and this yeah. whatever, whatever. Um, how have you quieted the voice of imposter syndrome? Oh man. Million dollar question. 
um it takes a lot of work it's like uh i don't know it's probably like asking an athlete like how do you just you know like how do you every foul shot man you just seem to like you were really bad but then you got better it was like practice i just like would practice you know mm-hmm. like self-talk and and uh just practice a lot of um either through meditation or um having a kid very much helped because like i talked about some of the preciousness kind of falls away there's yeah. this there's this fear now that you have to provide for someone else and you get there's the the fears get really bad, but also some of the, like, you're so tired. (laughs) I made this joke before we started. I was like, it is earlier. I look half asleep and James is two hours ahead of me. So you get very tired and and some of the, yeah, that those things just kind of fall by the wayside, but how do you quiet that mind, man? It it takes a lot of of uh, I read a lot of self help books, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. listened to a lot of audio books. I needed um, I needed help. I needed help, which is hard to you know admit and ask for. Uh, you feel like I don't know if you feel like this, but you feel like you should have, you have it all figured out when it's like it's the stupidest thing in the world. Like, yeah. but you feel it's so hard. I don't know. Like, do you feel that? Like, where you're like I sh. I should have this figured out by now. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah, like, I, should. I should have a handle <laughs> on how to quiet this thing by now. It's like, but you haven't practiced doing it. Why would you magically know how to do this? Yeah. Uh, so it was self-help books, man. It was like meditation. It was um, being honest with myself with like, how much does this actually hurt? Because it's the story you tell yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we tell ourselves a lot of stories and it, a lot of the times it doesn't hurt as bad. Um, uh, but it's an everyday practice. It's not a light switch. Yeah. With quiet, quieting that. You don't just turn it off. It's always there. And I think you have to accept that it's always there. Some people call it like um, I know Jack Plotnick, who's a great acting teacher, talks about uh, the kind of vulture on your shoulder that's kind of squawking that you get an audition you go, I'm excited for this. And then the vulture goes like, you're not right for it. It's the wrong part. Uh, why even try out? It's, it's five mm. pages. You're not going to memorize it. Word, word for, you know, word perp. It's all the things start yapping. It's like learning to be like, thank you. Don't need you right now. You know what I mean? Just like, <laughs> but, Thanks for but, coming. Yeah. But, but pretending it's not there, I think is more damaging. Right. Yeah. Like pretending the voice is not there, which is like, I think what I did for decades, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is like, shut up, uh, ah, whatever. I'll yeah. keep moving forward. It's like, just acknowledge that that negative voice is there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think a lot of, I think a lot of this stuff, when you become a parent, a lot of the stuff you learn, or at least the stuff I've learned is like acknowledgement of feelings mm. is the most important thing for a child and for adults. Like, acknowledging someone's feeling before you fix their problem is a concept that was not in my house growing up. And, <laughs> and, and it was always like, let's fix this problem or shut up. It was like those two options. There was a lot of love, but it was very like, you know, and acknowledgement of feelings, uh, learning to acknowledge your own feelings and kind of yeah. having that same self-talk is so vital. Uh, so that's a way to kind of quiet it as well yeah and like yeah you're scared or like yeah you might be out of your element okay mm-hmm. so 
Acknowledge it. Yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah, if we acknowledge it now, what are we going to do as opposed to, yeah, pretending it, dimin- it's not it diminishes, there. it diminishes the story, man. The story gets real small. Mm-hmm. The, the boogie monster, you know, the boogeyman, just like you see it for what it is. Oz in the back, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just, <clears throat> uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, what's funny. One of my favorite quotes of all time is uh, from the wise old sage anonymous um, and anonymous once said, uh, <laughs> I don't know who said the quote, um, but uh, so that happiness is only a place that you can visit, but the smartest people go there often. Um, mm. And I often think about that quote in relationship to my uh uh, my relationship with confidence, right? Yeah. And like confidence is the only place they can visit, but the smartest people go there often. Uh, and, and a lot of times, you know, especially after my speaking engagements, people are like, mm-hmm. oh my God, where did you get your confidence? That's incredible. You're a, how did you even do that? You were so mm-hmm. vulnerable yet so confident at the same time. And I was like, yeah, you, you're literally seeing me in my wheelhouse, Right. right. Like you're see- like, yeah, this is where I'm pl- I practice this. I practice this. Right. This is a flex. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, but uh, it is. Uh, but that's not a place where I where I live. Right. I mean, I think when it comes to confidence and building your confidence, I think for me, a lot of people think like confidence is like a rising tide lifts all boats kind of thing. But it's right. not. It kind of comes up in different places. I think yeah. I think they do bleed into each other a little bit. Right. But it's right. not just. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's not that uniform relationship. And that's why I love what you were talking about, about the idea of acknowledgement of feelings uh, and uh I'd be curious to hear uh, where, like, when did you learn that? Was that something that you learned? I mean, because uh, you're married to an exceptional individual. And I know for wow. me, a couple oh, months ago, a couple <laughs> I am 37 years old. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Sorry. I, I interrupted. No, you're, you're great, man. No, I, mean, I, I love that answer. Um, and uh, so. <laughs> I think, I think for me, like, especially in my relationship and my, and my, and my marriage, right? Like on, on my good days of being, I'm being a great, uh, a great husband. What I think, what being a great husband looks like, whenever something is presented to me of like, Hey, this is something. If, if Tina talks to me like, Hey, here's something I'm, I'm going through or something that just happened or a conversation I just had or uh, whatever. Here was a moment mm-hmm. uh, on my good days. I am, I like to, uh, I like to be like, Okay wow, that happened. Uh, what do you need from me right now? Do you mm-hmm. need a fixer? Do you need a devil's advocate? Do you need a damn that sucks guy? Do you need a, yeah. right? like, what is, what is it that you need right now? Because I had to recognize my own pattern of exactly what you were just talking about, which is my own pattern is okay. Well, I would want to fix that. Mm-hmm. Right. I, or I would want to beat myself up about that. And yeah. so let me play devil's advocate and make you feel whatever. Right. Like, yeah. um, or that kind of thing. Especially uh, the people you love, yeah. right. You want to help them. You don't exactly. want to see anybody in pain, but what they really need is the acknowledgement of what they're feeling because mm-hmm. they'll, they're feeling lonely in that feeling. And sometimes it's hard to say what you're feeling. We are not brought up that way. Uh, this is kind of new science in, in certain aspects of new psychology with child, um, with raising children and not so new, but not when I was growing up and, and it works for adults. I mean, it's so important for your kids because, you know, their prefrontal cortex hasn't developed yet. So they're going to have tantrums, 
um, they're not going to understand how to get control of their emotions. Mm -hmm. So acknowledging the emotions that they're feeling is not letting them know that what they're feeling is wrong, right? You keep, we have raised to have our feelings, the feelings that we're feeling a lot of the times is like, don't feel that. And it's wrong to feel that right now. Mm -hmm. And that's really, I think that's, you got it, man. That leads to such shame. So there's a lot of people walking around with massive shame issues, me included. Uh, raise your right? hand. Let's raise Every, our hands, everybody. Everybody raise your hand. <laughs> right? It's like there's so much shame and there's so much guilt sometimes. And yeah. sometimes like people can't even acknowledge shit if they screw up, right? They kind of just like are just because the shame feeling they don't want to feel. So acknowledging someone's feelings first is vital it's really hard and it's not uh instinctual it's not instinctual like mm-hmm. if my kid wants something and can't get it my instinct is to be like well we you can't have it right now because like we don't have that right instead of going that upsets you that you can't have that yeah that that would have set me too right it's 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 a very slight it's a small difference but what they're feeling is like yeah, I feel upset right now. Mm-hmm. And then they learn I can feel upset and feel better, right? Like I can get over this feeling. Whereas I think a lot of adults go like catastrophize. Like I'm going to feel like this forever. This, this is never going to end. Mm-hmm. I'm always going to be rejected, uh, right? There's the all catastrophe. There's the always statements. Uh, so you're learning to do that to yourself. Uh, James, that happened a couple months ago when I was <laughs> doing some – when I was learning about the Rye method, which I talked to you about, mm-hmm. uh, which the is Rye a parenting, st- yep. yeah, it's a p- parenting style, uh, which is just like that. It's a little bit more less helicopter parenting, a little bit more like let them figure it out a little bit more, let them have their bumps and bruises, acknowledge their feelings, keep mm-hmm. acknowledging their feelings, help when they want you to. It's a little bit more hands off. Um, but I was like, I was learning about this. I was like, wait a second, like this gotta fucking help with adults too, right? And uh, therapy, man. Let's talk about therapy for a second. I I, I wasn't going to do that for – I just started doing that too in the last like two years, right? Mm-hmm. That that changed my life uh, where I could talk to someone else about some of the bad stuff I was thinking about and yeah. the shame, right? All the shame that was there. That helped me get clear on stuff and having a professional person there that helps quiet the mind to answer the question before, you know, to add to that too. Um, yeah. But and only recently, yeah. only recently that I start doing this. Yeah. <laughs> right. Sure. Yeah. This and you new. talked about it earlier about that idea that we're like, we're supposed to have it all together and where does that, uh, or, or that we can't, uh, you know, that we can't ask for help because we're just supposed to figure it out and stuff like that. And where, what drives yeah. that? Um, and I know for me, what often drives that is the, you had great parents. You were grew up with more than enough. You went to an awesome high school. Yeah. You got into the college that what you, do you wanted have to, to go to. About? Who are you right mm-hmm. now, bro? You going through yeah. some things? Pat, pat, pat. Eat yep. a lemon. Um, yep. right? Like, yep. like it's just like <laughs> like I don't know. That's understand. some fucked up self-talk, man. I don't want to talk about it. Um <laughs> <laughs> but still, rind and everything. Yeah. Anyway, Eat but the whole uh, thing right off but, the tree. 
Yeah, that was a big, especially for me when I went through my divorce, right? Like that was a big mm-hmm. thing for me um, as yeah. well of like, this is, this wasn't good enough for you. This, mm-hmm. you know, this, this person, right. Who mm-hmm. is, you know, this, this doctorate wielding, beautiful home, golden retrievers, uh, you know, extremely uh, caring individual who believes in you. Like that, that wasn't it for you, bro. Cool. You're a piece yeah. of shit. Um, right. right. And like some of those stories that we tell ourselves um, that, that keep us there uh, mm-hmm. are, are fascinating. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yes, and I think some, it, some of them are yes. true too. That's the bad part, right? Some of the stories are based in truths, mm-hmm. but it's like straw man stuff, right? It's like yourself is taking some of the truths and then making a new argument. And then now you have this new tape, you know, this loop in your head where you're like, mm-hmm. wait, what the fuck was I originally feeling? <laughs> this new self-hatred thing like that everything i do like for a long time i figured I, I was like i should be great at everything you know it's like wait why yeah why do you think you should be because you've been pretty good at things and things have kind of come and like you yeah what the hell do you have to complain about but everybody has their stories everybody has their traumas some are much worse than others but i think if you can get a hold of yours you'll be that much better of a person for theirs right so mm-hmm. not working on your shit mm-hmm. you're i don't think you're better for yourself or for other people it doesn't mean you're a bad person it just means like life's too hard don't kick yourself in the nuts. Like, yeah, right. Yeah, that's what nope. I was constantly doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the world is kicking it. you in the balls. You yes. don't also need to, before you go to sleep, kick your bruised balls. <laughs> like, now, let me tell you that what won't help anything is to beat the shit out of yourself. Um, yeah, but we probably grew up with like a discipline thing and we watched, you know, and especially men, I think is very like, mm, yeah, I was going to bring women that up, have their yeah. own thing, especially mothers have their own, you know, what, what my wife went through and the community that she goes through, there's such a high standard, right? Mm-hmm. Dad's low standard now moving up. Dad's having a higher standard, especially I feel a little bit more in the, I don't want to say like a liberal sense of the word, but the, the amount of mental load on mothers that you learn as a new father is like you'll go through it again like oh what the fuck am i complaining about i'm just tired you know what i mean (laughs) so the amount that they go through now james i gotta say a lot of this is evolutionary like i've taken a deep dive into evolutionary psychology just because i'm like why do i do what i do right (laughs) i must start from the beginning (laughs) this this uh, this whole thing and that which kind of led me into the buddhist thing which is like why don't we feel satisfied? Like, why do we, why do humans like get their thing, get the thing that they want and still feel like an emptiness? It's like, motherfucker, it's cause it's in our DNA. We are born and bred to not be satisfied because if we do get satisfied early on, you know, when the millions of years that humans were starting to develop, like if you just killed one woolly mammoth and ate it and you're just satisfied, you'd die. The, the genes that were moved on were by the people that were constantly striving to survive. Mm-hmm. It's just now there's food aplenty uh, and you don't necessarily, for, for, for maybe a, a, a first world countries, right? Yes. So, um, so there's all these fears and anxieties and, all these things that happen. I was like, these are just built in things. I often say it's like, we're running on old software, man. Mm-hmm. And we just haven't updated yet. And, and that like feeling of like, I'm never going to be, I want a goal. It's like, this is all built in. This is what's in our, this is in the script of being human. Yeah. And it's learning 
learning to see that script where you can start to go like, hmm, okay, maybe mm-hmm. I can. St- it's not easy. It's just the self talk sometimes changes. Yeah, where the self hatred starts to go away. Where you go like, it's not like letting yourself off the hook mm-hmm. with things. Like if you're a piece of shit, like that's <laughs> figure you're a piece it out. Of shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But I'm saying, like, the, I think a lot of us beat this, beat ourselves up, you know, over things that sometimes are a little out of our control, mm-hmm. um, or at least of bred, you know, bred into us. And we didn't pick our lives, we didn't pick our parents, we didn't pick a lot of the things that shaped us as humans early on. And I think we still beat ourselves up for a lot of those things. And I think it's coming to terms with that, being very honest with yourself. I yeah. think that helps you move forward. Um, it doesn't make it easier. Mm-hmm. Maybe it makes it a little easier, but it it it, it, it at least the, the again the acknowledgement of some of that stuff I think is is very helpful. Yeah. Why do I always I get the thing I want and then there's the new goals like yeah that's what, <laughs> yeah that's how it works that's, that's how, how it, humans yeah. work you know mm-hmm. so it's learning to kind of start updating the software a little bit to kind of see it from maybe a higher point of view. Um, yeah. You know, why it's we funny. were doing these things? Yeah. Yeah, I complete uh, that. Is, first off, uh, fascinating to bring up, uh, you know, from Homo sapiens till now, uh, <laughs> right? Like chasing, chasing the woolly mammoths, and they're the ones who survived, right? Uh, yeah. You know, the the actual actual Darwinism, not social Darwinism, um, right? right? Uh, right. And uh, yeah, I mean that is uh, that's ext- it's fascinating to think about that 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 is still wired within us. Uh, but it is it is indeed for sure it's natural selection man all natural yep. selection cares mm-hmm. about it doesn't care about happiness oh, let me tell you that <laughs> natural selection does not give a shit about your happiness all it cares about is passing your genes on that's it yeah. and it's really like not sad but cold right mm-hmm. but that is also godlike like think of all the creatures on earth here from natural selection like i can understand how you can believe in god this is so beautiful to us, right? It's so beautiful that these things, when you go like, this is perfect and this thing does this thing perfectly. It's like, yeah, the millions upon hundreds of millions of years of natural selection going, you pass the genes on and, you know, Some the fa- this yeah. thing needs to be faster. This thing needs to grow this thing to capture this thing. And mm-hmm. The thing that it starts tweaking stuff and, and it did that with humans, you know, did that with humans too. And it gave us all these things um, and it gave us these brains and we went way fast. Like chimps didn't change. Mm-hmm. Humans have changed so much. And again, running on old software from like civilization, like mass civilization, like regular civilization, agriculture is like 10,000 years old. Mm-hmm. That's it. And modern kind of civilizations, like 3,000 years old, like mass agriculture. That's insane. Think of where we are. Think how much shit has changed. So much shit has changed in our society. Yeah. We are not prepared for this at all. <laughs> But he, but here's the thing, right? Like, I mean, I can I can listen to you, and I, I hear this, I agree with you, um, right? But I still have dreams. Mm-hmm. I still have a legacy. I still have. Uh, uh, I've talked about on here how I'm living my life based on what I want to be said in my eulogy, right? Like, I'm trying mm-hmm. to write badass stories. I'm trying to do these things, and so it is. Uh, it would be easy for me to be like, well, 
that's an evolution, I guess. You know, here we go over here. Um, yeah. But like finding the balance of accepting where you are and having dreams is fascinating. I often tell, uh, I often tell myself, and I told my counselor this the other day, because again, shout out to counseling. Um, but I told my counselor the other day that I was like, I feel like I'm stuck at the intersection of self-awareness and lost. Mm. Um, and I don't, <laughs> I don't, I didn't know those two roads crossed. <laughs> like, I didn't, oh, yeah. I didn't think, but they certainly do. Right. It's like, oh, yeah. you know, all the things you don't know what to do and you don't know what you're right. And you're, and, and I, it's also, I mean, like, I think we're noticing a huge rise in anxiety and things like that. And uh, people who are concerned about the future um, and, and with the little moves that they make even down to, well, if I order this or order that, what's going to be the best experience to, well, if I move here and move there, right? Like, um, yeah. and so uh, that, that idea of legacy is one that I think about a lot. Um, and like, I want to have, uh, I don't know that I, I want to have lived this life that I am proud of excited by that. I am, uh, yeah. you know, that uh, eager, um, eager for maybe others to share and talk about or whatnot, but no matter what, like I want to finish this whole thing with my head held high and being like, yep, we did some cool things while we were here. Well done. Pat, Pat, yeah. Pat, ask Pat, good game, drink water. Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> just water, <laughs> just water at that point, they'll probably be coming in through a tube. Um, well, we, but, I think what you're talking about, man, is ambition, right? Like, I, I think such a great I've book. Heard of is, it. Is, yeah, it's <laughs> a little thing called ambition. Uh, but Dan Harris's book, Ten Percent Happier," is one of the best books you can read on ambition because he was lost in his journey through. He had a panic attack live on uh, mm -hmm. television on on ABC, and and uh, he talk kind of talks about he talks about that, and then like where it led him with Buddhism and his pro his bump with Buddhism and these kind of self help gurus was the was that kind of acceptance stuff. And he's like, well, what about my ambition? Like, like Buddhism is like life suffering, like don't be ambitious at all. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where he kind of came up with a 10% happier concept. I highly recommend people looking at getting the audiobook because Dan does the audiobook of that. It's such a great, like down to earth, like intro into Buddhism, but also secular Buddhism, I'd say. Um, and it's, it's, uh, that's the big riff. I feel like, like, well, with, with this never feeling satisfied, of course, you're is going to come ambition and of yeah. course is going to become an ego, right? Like if we weren't egotistical, like why would we do it? Like we'd just kill ourselves. Like it would just be like, yeah. oh, I don't matter. This doesn't matter later. Like <laughs> we need an ego. We need yeah. an ego and we need ambition. It's just that's what that's crossroads that you're at is the thing that we're going to keep bumping into we keep bumping into yeah and so, you're afraid and you're afraid to go to pick the wrong to pick the wrong water slide you know what i mean it's yeah like, right <laughs> yeah what exactly. if I had more fun what if i like what if that brought me you know somewhere else yeah but don i'm wondering i mean especially as as a new parent mm -hmm. um where does this come into play for you uh, and, and, and some of those kind of things? Cause I mean, you have, you have your own ambition, obviously um, you now have, you also have ambition uh, for your, for your daughter. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, and, uh, but you also have, uh, 
you're going through your own relationship with confidence um, and uh, and emotions around what is being a good parent uh, from, from a zoomed out place versus what is being a good parent in this exact small moment. Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, you're kind of, uh, you're getting punched from all sides right now as someone who is about to embark into fatherhood. I mean, what, you know, what would you say to that? It's, it's just, a, it's just so hard. <laughs> <laughs> it really tests your, I mean, you are tested your patience. So my, my big fault is patience, right? I have no mm-hmm. patience. <clears throat> and when you're with some, when you're with a child, you need to have patience. Um, so for, well, I mean, for any new parent, it's going to be, like I said, the, it's going to be such a, you're just not prepared for it. You can read mm-hmm. all the books, you can do everything. It's just such a, it's the biggest, I think for me personally, it was the biggest test of my life. You're sleep deprived a lot of the first months. So you don't really remember shit, but again, kind of biologically put in there. Um, so you have more kids, but it's, it's just admitting that it's so hard that you don't, there is no perfect Brene Brown's, um, uh, I think it's like the gift of imperfect parenting, great short book, Mm -hmm. um, to read where it's like, there's problems all the time. You see how precious life is and how quickly they can kill themselves. Like <laughs> quickly, they could just like, you're like, you turn for one second and you get, I get, I'll admit this right now. And I think a lot of people do this. You get angry at like, how do you not know this already? But that's insane to say, <laughs> but your instinct is like, why do I have to, Jesus, I can never rest. Yeah. I can never rest, man. And there's a lot of anger and exhaustion that come with this. The flip side is there's so you get to live vicariously your your childhood in a way. So if you had a shitty childhood, you can make you can make your kids' life better. And if you had a great childhood, you can mimic some of the great things with your child. Mm-hmm. Like just sitting watching some cartoons, which you're not supposed to do. I was like, fuck that. COVID. We're watching we're watching Daniel Tiger. Like <laughs> Just watching that and kind of going through the lessons of life again, mm-hmm. learning the lessons of life about kindness and about love and about anger. Like we, my wife, Laura and I still use Daniel Tiger's like, if you're feeling mad and you want to roar, take a deep breath and count to four. And I was like, that's a brilliant <laughs> <laughs> little jingle daniel tiger um but sitting next to your kid experiencing that or watching them take a lemon and examine it and l- smelling stuff for the first time rosemary lavender it's like the best thing in the world man it makes up for all that stuff it's just every moment is exhausting like by the end of the day you are exhausted so it's really hard you learn I learned poorly, took me a couple months to really learn what a routine was, mm-hmm. how to really plan my day. I learned that like the life of an actor of just like getting the last minute audition, you know, and having to learn something. I was like, this sucks, man. Like I learned that I really like a planned out day. Mm, I don't okay. like it to change too much because 
my kid is constantly changing. Like, there's too much change. <laughs> I'm in one of those, like, space camp, you know, yeah. this way and that way. It's like... <laughs> So for me personally, I needed to have, I learned, it took me months to get to it, like a 6 a.m. routine. Because mm -hmm. first of all, your kid's going to wake up at all sorts of hours those first couple of months. But then they get into some sort of rhythm that changes a little bit. And it still changes to this day. But to get into like a 6 a.m. routine where I'm working out and Laura and I take over more different mornings mm -hmm. with each other. And to put a plan, I mean, I have it on my desk right here. <laughs> I have a passion planner. Oh, good. And uh, this is just like, you know, you... It's a good time to bring in our sponsor. This uh, podcast Passion is sponsored Planner, by man. Passion Planners. You, know, you just kind of like put it out for the week. Like, you just go like, what do I want to get done? Yeah. Because if you don't do that, your brain's mush. Like, you're trying to keep someone alive. That takes a lot of energy. And, and the, again, child... <laughs> the, the, the sharing child... Uh, um, raising duties was it the it takes a village was not a lie mm -hmm. it was a real thing that happened so covid like being isolated not ha we don't have our families out here i'm in los angeles going through personal stuff man it's just this non-stop bombardment of uh of uncertainty and change yeah. and it's really hard and you don't do well uh a lot of the times like it's just maybe maybe folks out there are better than me but like i'm just being completely honest like impatient angry you know very short you know with like mm -hmm. uh and i'm not proud of that but i'm also nowadays not beating the shit out of myself for that yeah. because anybody that's exhausted and uncertain constantly I had this, not to keep, keep this going, but I had this like conversation with like realization recently, where I was like, sometimes pe my family and people that were close to me might think I'm a little like controlling about small things. Mm -hmm. And I have to point out to them, I'm like, I'm just the opposite of you. Like, like people that were like, why can't you be a little bit more go with the flow or loosey goosey? And I was trying to like internally figure that out. And I was like, I think it's because I moved across the fucking country. I'm the type of person that can move across the country with nothing. And yeah. I can dream big and take huge ambitious jumps that are completely out of my control. I have the gumption to do that. Yeah. I need something in my control. So I need to know I can make dinner at night. And if that gets screwed up a little bit, I get a little fucky in my head. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's like the yeah. thing that like is my like thing I can control. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, fuck, man, this is all about control. This is all about control. People that are afraid or feel out of control, you know, like, mm -hmm. so I'm trying to find those things. And especially as a parent, you're, try, you're, you're, it's going to be, you're going to be completely out of control. <laughs> so you have to find <laughs> those grounding things that you can control. You have to learn, like, we can play in this room and this is a safe space. And I'm going to put the effort in to make this a safe space so I can be a little bit more in control to let them do their thing, you know? Yeah, so you can. I don't know if I answered your question. Off. I don't know what the fuck I'm. You, this you're getting a firsthand hired <laughs> father <laughs> rambling about what the. F I don't even know what I'm talking about. I mean, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I think you answered questions I had, and also questions I didn't have but wish I had. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, um, I mean, hearing. Uh, hearing the authenticity in your 
uh, in your experience and your reflection mm-hmm. on your experience is is always helpful, right? I mean, there's so many books about how beautiful it's going to be and magical. And then there's mm-hmm. also so many thoughts about like, it's going to be terrible and horrific and whatever, right? Like you feel like you hear both poles, um, mm-hmm. but you don't hear about some of the little things, right? The little ways to, like you talked about, like control and whatnot. Patience is a is a really big thing for me that I'm nervous about as well. I've recently learned to call some of the things in my life uh, control issues. <laughs> and uh, and so, um, and I think that's one of the reasons why COVID has been such a cluster for so many. It's because everybody got accustomed to their patterns and then COVID said, hold my beer. Um, right. And all of our patterns got completely shattered. Um, yeah. And and that's why we're noticing so many more mental health things right now. I also hope that that's just more people that actually have the time and are taking the time to actually talk to somebody. Um, right. Uh, but, yeah. but still, uh, I mean, obviously suicide rates have gone up and there's, I mean, a lot, a bunch of really scary things that have happened. People feel um, alone, man. People, people feel, feel very alone. lonely. And that's a, yeah. I mean, that's one of the biggest feelings that I have, um, is as, as a giant extrovert who is not living by his family. Uh, I mean, loneliness is the emotion that I feel, especially, yeah. Uh, having just moved here uh, and and not really having the time to develop friendships like I would want to. Um, And so even if I did have, like, I don't don't have a pod, right? I'm like, I would love a pod of people that I could talk to, but I don't, I don't have that. And so do you you think it's uh, like tougher adult men to form like the older you get? So you're an extrovert. I'm kind of border introvert. It's I, I find it very difficult or really vulnerable for to, to try to form a new meaningful relationship with another man, the older I get, mm-hmm. like it's like the situation has, to, it's, 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 it's very difficult. I think the modern landscape that we're in makes it even more difficult because everyone, you know, Twitter. And, so that's why I got off a lot of social media, but just like finding that pod, I don't know if it, like, maybe it's just easier for you. I don't know. But like the older I get, the more it's like, Oh, I have to be vulnerable in front of dudes again. It's like, that's, it's that like caveman, like difficult thing. Like I, I think I was telling you this, like men mostly do shoulder to shoulder activities. Women tended to do more face to face activities. Men Mm -hmm. don't make eye contact a lot. Uh, Men tend to talk about non-meaningful things as a form of connection. Uh, So um, I'm not just making this up. This is studies have shown all this shit. So um, pulling this out of my ass. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I don't know if it has been like, First of all, it's probably really hard in COVID times, but if COVID wasn't here and you moved to a new place, would you find it easy? Like, could you just like go someplace and like meet people and like put in that effort and put in that time? Like you have your own ambitious career. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of reciprocity. These are all beautiful things, right? But we get into our like selfish kind of ways sometimes Mm -hmm. and I don't know. Maybe maybe you just do it easier than me. I find it hard. I find it hard, especially in the industry I'm in, which is like, I'm not going to like a, uh, I don't have like a lunch a happy hour. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. just like <laughs> clocking into like clocking into the you know mines or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Or into like manufacturing. You're going into a place with a bunch of people every day, where you can kind of know them it's like this where, is isolating. where there's water coolers and uh right or a foosball yeah. table or something yeah. like that you're probably whatever. in the same boat i mean you see people but like it's hard i think the older you get as a man it's like takes a lot of vulnerability it takes a lot of you know effort i think yes. 
Yeah. yeah. Making friends as an adult is incredibly <laughs> awkward. Um, and yes, I mean, I am a giant extrovert. I test extrovert, right? I'm an 11 out of 10 on most scales. Um, and uh, right, like in, in Strengths Finder and Strengths Quest, whatever it is, yeah. right? Like Woo is one of mine, which stands for winning others over. Um, wow. And uh, and so like that's one of my top five strengths. And then wow. I'm an ENFP. I'm a whatever. Like we can go in and on and on and on, right? In the Enneagram too. I'm here for people is what I'm saying, Don. And uh, I mean, I literally have a blog called Airplane Friends where I make friends with people on airplanes and write about their stories a la, mm-hmm. um, a la humans of New York. And so mm-hmm. what is easy for me is initiating conversation. Okay. What is easy for me is 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 kind of breaking in and being like, how are we doing? What's going on? How are you? Let me ask a question. Um, and because uh, I recognize the value of small talk, but I also don't stay in small talk for too long. For me, I kind of I see they talk about uh, I forget who mentioned who came up with this idea, but like this visual, but like the, we should have tea conversations where, where you know, a small talk is kind of uh, men often stay on the top side of the tea, but there mm-hmm. needs to be a point where we go deep, right? Where we need mm-hmm. to drill in. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and so that's tea is in the letter, not not the drink. Um, but uh, but still. Um, uh, so for that, uh, like I am good at starting to ask people questions of, and I mean it really comes down to one simple one simple phrase, which is, oh, tell me more about that, right? Mm. Just like just like that one simple phrase is the, one of the easiest ways to have immediately better conversations, mm. um, to make people feel heard, to make people feel safer, right? To let the walls come down. If you don't have humor on your side, that's a great way to do it. Having both right. is, is a superpower. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, so, I mean, is it easier for me to make friends here? No, not at all, because it's easier for me to initiate conversations Uh, But then I don't, I'm also, I have a giant fear that I'm a burden to other people. Mm -hmm. And so, and so like, I'm going to follow up with you, but my, my text is going to have like 14 apologies and you probably got other friends. You probably got this. You probably are eating something um, or whatever. And uh, I remember it's also interesting because I've noticed that when men want to get together, there needs to be an activity. Uh-huh. And so I literally planned a first date for a friend of mine here where we went to a distillery and then we went over to this brewery. And if it was still going well, I had picked a spot out for dinner. And then, right, you know what I mean? I literally had like the stages of a date planned out <laughs> so we could keep it moving uh, because I thought we needed to have something because yeah. we can't just like, yo, can I come over and sit in your backyard and look at you? Right. Like, what am I, what yeah. am I mother's? Uh, famous quotes um, and uh, which, which I love uh, is my mom once has been quoted as saying, I just fucking love to sit. Mm-hmm. And, and so like, like my mom just wants to sit and have a conversation. And I am yeah. also that way. I, I mean, I like a thing, right? I'm, I'm happy doing a thing, but I don't need a thing. And right. so uh, especially moving to a new place, a place like Minnesota, where not a lot of people have left. And if they've left, they've come back. A lot of really strong family values here, which is very cool, but it's, Mm now you have a lot of people who have come back and they got their own circles. They, you know, they call it Minnesota nice. And it's very, it's a very real thing. I mean, I could ask any of my neighbors to be, Hey, can you come over and help me chop up this thing? I got to chop up and they'd uh-huh. be over here. But this as body, as, I got to chop up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> come on. Um, Fargo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but still, uh, but if it, it was then of like, Hey, do you want to come over and hang out and talk for a while? Like that would be like, they'd be like, no. 
right? Yeah. And so right. that's where it's awkward for me is that I have a bunch of acquaintances, but I don't have many friends. Um, yeah. And uh, and and how do you dive into those and some of those friendships? And and for me, it's also uh, for me, it's also recognizing that I need to keep massaging and and going back to the friendships that I've made in the past of like, you know, you need that connection. So don't forget about them just because proximity is no longer on your side, right? A Bronx tale, availability. Um, and uh, yeah, and so- We did it. <laughs> <laughs> we quoted. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think, um, uh, yeah, that's a tough thing for me. Absolutely. It's a place where I'm super insecure. Uh, like I said, I feel, I feel very lonely here. Um, and, and COVID just makes it all, all the more, all the harder. So when you have a kid though, it does, it does open you up to other fathers, which is very helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just hard for us. Like, cause we just, she was like just a couple months old and we just started going to parks, you know, and playgrounds where you can have that community and that community feel and meet new people. And, you know, then COVID hit. So then she's been kind of isolated somewhat like we go to playgrounds and we do a lot of social distancing stuff and go on time, go at times when maybe there's not a lot of kids and stuff like that, but still it's weird. We, we, we miss, we want that for her so bad to have those interactions with kids. And, but then also I'm like, well, selfishly, we also want to meet other parents that are in the same boat and mm -hmm. are like, this is hard, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, and just kind of see all the parenting styles and, and some make you feel great about yourself. Some make you feel horrible about yourself. And that's just kind of how society works. But yeah, just that, that meet, I, th I think when you have a kid and this, all this shit kind of gets under control with COVID, um, mm -hmm. it might be an opportunity to at least have maybe a deeper conversation because you're both going to be kind of exhausted and more honest yeah. with each oh, other. We're busting out brother. I can't, well, I'm hugging everybody as soon as I'm allowed to <laughs> buckle up. I'll ask first cause I'm a good person, but I'm hugging everybody um, <laughs> coming in for the real thing. Don, uh, we have had a delightful deep conversation. I will have some more questions. I have another topic that I want to bring up with you, but okay. first I think we should do a segment. Okay. Um, let's, uh, let's lighten it up here for just a second. Give ourselves some breathing room. Um, yeah, but, too uh, intense that was. Oh, was too oh my God. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, I loved it. Um, slash I, uh, that's why I created the podcast was so we could do that for hours. Um, but, uh, but I'm curious to hear, we have a segment here on the show, Don called things that you don't know about me or didn't know about me, but are now glad that you did or do. Anyway, the name of the segment changes every time, give or take my knowledge of the English language and whether or not I remember the name of the segment. But the point of it is, is that we're going to share some random facts about ourselves. Um, and okay. then uh, and then we'll dive back in. We'll see kind of where it leads. So I'll okay. go first because uh, rather than just putting you on the spot. Um, when I was younger, my boy Kevin and I, shout out to Kevin Bandora, um, he and I would always go fishing. And uh, he lived, uh, we lived right by the water in Long Island. And so we just take our poles over to one of the docks and just drop them in. And we put up, we pull up little snappers, um, like baby bluefish. And, mm. uh, and there were a lot of the bluefish in this one particular canal always had leeches on their gills. Um, and so we had to pull the leeches. Off. So we would always pull the leeches off and then free the fish. They weren't, they weren't big enough to keep. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, and so we would pull the, neither the leeches nor the fish. Um, but uh, so we'd pull the leeches off and then we'd set the, fr the fish free. But I would go home and cry 
<laughs> because I felt so bad for these fish. And I was like, how do we save the fish from the leech? Why are these leeches so mean? Why are they doing the wee fishes? Oh, and I would, shit, and I would cry to my mom about these leeches on the fish. And uh, so that's, uh, that was an experience that I had that I'm pretty proud of. And maybe Love one it. of the reasons why I went into marine biology. Love it. Man. <laughs> that makes sense. Who's going to help these fish? Who's going to help these fish, John? James Rousseau. <laughs> what do you got for us, dude? Well, I have a short one and a little bit of a, not a longer one. I have like a, well, they're both brags, I guess, but I don't, I don't like to brag. Great. Again, That's... the self-hatred thing. Yeah. One is for some reason I have memorized all the prime numbers between two and 97. <laughs> And I could say them very quickly. And I did this in sixth grade. And I don't know why it stuck with me. It was very helpful with like SATs and stuff like that. But it's just something I can do still. And that's just ingrained in me. 2, 3, 5, 7, 11, 13, 17, 19, 23, 29, 31, 37, 41, 43, 47, 53, 59, 61, 67, 71, 73, 79, 83, 89, 97. I don't know why I can do that. <laughs> and I don't think you're better to know that about me now. Whatever the fuck the name of the segment is. <clears throat> The little bit longer thing is I was part of the play of the century. I don't think anybody knows this. I was part of the play of the century in high school football and as voted in North Jersey. Okay. Sure. And <laughs> so, and it was, we were down five points. It was like 30, 35. We're up against one of our rivals, Dumont. They had just scored. There's about a minute left. It's, we try to advance. It's like fourth down. We have like 70 yards to go mm-hmm. and under a minute at this point. <clears throat> and I'll take, I'll stop the story there and go back a year before because our <laughs> running back, Mike Quinn was also a strong safety. We were in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So I was a sophomore at the time. This is 1998. I think Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh God. We're, we're playing Lodi. Mm-hmm. We're winning. It's the last minute of the game. Mike Quinn, the guy throws the ball. Mike Quinn makes the most amazing tackle I've ever seen. We're about to win the game. But as the guy is getting tackled on Lodi, he sees one of his teammates and tosses him the ball, laterals it back, like a hook and ladder, if anybody's familiar. No, sure. But an unplanned hook and ladder. Guy scores a touchdown, we lose the game. One year later... Where everyone's spread out. There's no one in the backfield. Less than a minute. Joe Robinson, our quarterback, gets the hike. Fourth down and 70 at this point. <laughs> he just goes, Hail Mary. Everyone run. Go. I'll find somebody. We're, I'm one of the, I think I was the fastest or second fastest guy on the team. So I'm flying down the field. Ball's flying up. Who gets the ball? But Mike Quinn. We all jump for the ball. Me, Mike, two Dumont players. Mike comes down with the ball. And I was like, great. We could try to spike the ball. And like, as he's falling, James, he tosses me the ball. <laughs> I'm very surprised by this. I get the ball and I just sprint into the end zone and we win the goddamn game. And it was like, the for some reason, it was the play of the century because it was probably 1999 and they forgot about the 99 years of history uh, behind it. But I was part of the play of the century in North Jersey football. 
Wow. Uh, and uh, to before the year 2000. So, <laughs> I'm an old man. Well, congratulations, brother. Hey. That's I did not know that story. That's incredible. Also, yeah. North Jersey, probably the home to the most restaurants on the planet with <laughs> world's best in their title. Um, <laughs> it's always like some dude's like last name. It's yeah. just like, you know, Fratello's, world's best fucking ravioli. It's just like, or like world's best, you know, like Johnny Cakes. It's like, what are you talking about? What are we bragging about here? World's Here's something best. super random about about Minnesota uh, is that uh, there is a, a a chain out here, a hardware store chain, and now Minnesota predominantly inhabited by uh, people from Sweden, Norway, a lot of Germans out here, a lot of blondes, and uh, and so, but randomly there is a hardware chain out here called Fratelloni's, and it makes me so Whoa. happy. <laughs> And the fr- all like there's just like there's like 50 fratelloni don't touch that door around here it's incredible don't go in the back door don't go in the back door over here watch your mouth right yeah, they, they, yeah there's always a sale on shovels i don't get it um <laughs> don that is uh that is an incredible story the old the old hook and ladder the old, the old hail mary the old uh won the game i love that game. that's yeah. awesome i, I was never crying allowed- walking off the field oh, i was crying i was You're like so not. emotional yeah i got it Felt like a chooch, but I play the century. Come on, play the century. (laughs) (laughs) I was never allowed to play football um, because uh, because I have absolutely horrific knees that are very Uh, genetically passed down to me. And so we just went ahead and avoided that. But I always wanted to play tight end because your boy has got hands, Don Finelli. Mark my words. It's like the Uh, it's one of the most fun positions besides defensive end i always thought was probably the coolest position but i was just like a tall skinny kid so i always played cornerback yeah um, or wide receiver or something like that i played running back but my dad was like an all-american like running back and he was just like this amazing physical specimen and i was like had that to live up to <laughs> thanks everywhere we went thanks. in north jersey world's best you know chooches we'd go there <laughs> five people would come up to my dad like everyone knew my goddamn dad all over the goddamn county it was like <laughs> Jesus Christ, your dad, man. I saw him in high school. He hit 45 points. It's like, all right. What are you doing? I was like, play the century, man. (laughs) Play the century. Play Play the the century, century, man. Pass me that guitar. Um, (laughs) Don, I want to go back into this idea of friendship. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to this friendship and, and male friendship is always fascinating. I want to, and I want to talk a little bit about your and I's friendship mm-hmm. um, because uh, as we alluded to much earlier, uh, it wouldn't be a show with two improvisers if we didn't have a callback. Um, <laughs> we, we, uh, we discussed uh, kind of how we met in this, uh, in this improv class or improv mm-hmm. classes at the theater. Um, we watched a bunch of shows together. You were coming in from Jersey. You stay with me or whatever. We would mm-hmm. walk around. We would, mm-hmm. uh, we would take photos. We'd eat delicious food. Right? You know, I was always on the hunt for decent barbecue because I had just moved up from the South. You led, um, I followed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, and obviously we crushed some diners on the way too. shout out mm-hmm. to the flame diner. Um, but, uh, but still, um, but still there came a point where we drifted apart. Mm-hmm. And so I would love to talk to you about this because I love this. 
in many ways, and, and there is no bitterness, there is no sadness, there is no anything, and there was never any resentment or whatever. And I hope you know that and believe me. I do. Um, but yeah. like, uh, like you know, friendships come together, and they're really important for that moment. It's a beautiful moment, and then people drift apart, and some people never come back, right? Like, um, but I'm fortunate enough to still have you in my life um, and, and, and any capacity, and it, it's beautiful. But mm-hmm. I, let's let's go all the way back because I think a lot of times when friendships start to change, people question a lot of things and people mm-hmm. kind of go through some stuff. And so here's how I remember it. And I'd be curious to hear how you remembered it. Um, is that, uh, at one point you climbed the ladder at the upright citizens brigade quicker than I did. Um, and, uh, and, and, and rightfully so. And please, please hear that. Um, uh, and, uh, and so, maybe. um, maybe <laughs> I, am I, I mean, am I, I mean, you were, I mean, this is, this is cheesy, but like, even though we started at the same time, you were, you were, and always have, and still are one of my improv role models. Um, I just, I just love the way you play. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah. And so I had, I had no problem with this and also, uh, yeah, you're my boy. So yeah, let's go. Right. (laughs) Pass down the coattails when you get the chance. Um, and, and you got linked up with, with Chris Gethard, um, Mm -hmm. and at a time where we were fortunate to be at the theater when he came back to teach, um, really lucked out. That's just a luck and timing right there. Um, but, uh, super fortunate. Um, and, and the two, Two of you became much closer and then started hanging out and then opportunities started to come his way because he busted his ass for them uh, yeah. and wickedly talented. And, uh, and, and fortunately you were able to, based on your merit of talent and also proximity and friendship, we're able to kind of hold on. Um, and, uh, and it was yeah. beautiful, but yeah. as that happened, our friendship shifted. Um, and it really, no one said anything. No one did anything. It was just, we just spent less and less time together. Always said hello, always cracked some jokes or whatever, um, linked up and did some festival shows together. Um, but, uh, and so, yeah. Um, but that's kind of how I remember that moment. How was it for you? Yeah, that's, that's, I think you summed it up really nicely. And I, I think from my end was there was a couple factors, like looking back, I've like, I talk about this in my podcast about failure, which is like having time and perspective on your side really lets you know if you if there was failures or not. Yeah. Um, and and uh, it's only failures sometimes when things end. And my, I think it was a combination of a lot of things. So looking back, I go, oh, I was selfish. I was like very selfish. But to to explain the selfishness was many years of not knowing what I wanted to do and being afraid to admit what I wanted to do and then finding it and then starting to excel in it. Mm -hmm. I really put blinders on. and was like, I really need to stay focused. So a lot of my friendships suffered uh, because of it, because I was so focused on finally, I haven't surfed before, but Hey, here's an analogy. Finally started (laughs) riding a wave. Yeah. And I didn't want to look around. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. And it was not out of love. And I felt really guilty about it. And it was something I was aware of that I was afraid to even talk about, I guess, with my friends. A lot of my boys from home just kind of knew it. And I would kind of bring it up every now and then. They're like, yeah, man, keep doing your thing, you know. But that was part of it. And so finding something I loved and kind of jumping on the wave of it and meaningful people in my life went by the wayside a little bit. And also I was desperately searching for a mentor 
Mm. So you have your friends, which are really important. But as you know, as well in this industry, mm. you're always also looking for some sort of guide. And yeah, I, never yeah. really, I never really had one before. So Gethard was like the person where I was like, I'll follow you into hell, bro. Because you're getting me to do things that feel right. Yeah. You know, you're getting me to, you you clicked me into my socket and I feel right. Now I got to a point with Gethard where I started realizing, and we talked about this on my podcast as well. The finale of my podcast is me and Gethard talking about our friendship where I said, I needed to step away from the Gethard world where mm. it started blowing up. And I actually started leaving because I valued our friendship and I wanted mm. to go, I want to do this myself. I don't want to just be the person that was like, you brought me to all these places. I need to branch off and be like, can I do this alone? Mm-hmm. Uh, can I, am I good enough? You know? So I made an active choice when things were starting to kind of bl- go in a positive direction to kind of distance myself from, from Geth. One, to kind of preserve our friendship that we had created because I saw that once it started getting more professional, we never had riffs, but I saw him with other people, their friendship started getting tense. And I was like, I don't think I want that. I value the friendship too much. Mm. And then two, I was like, and I think at the time it might've been even more important to be like, can I do this myself? Can I, I'm not going to ride your coattails anymore, Yeah, but not that harshly. It's just maybe bird out the nest a little bit. Yeah. Let me just see if I can, let me see what I've learned these last couple of years, you know, being under his wing and I fell on my face. I mean, I, it was, it was got some things, uh, but it was, it was good though. It was a real good, like uphill battle. So yeah. from my point of view, you were just one of those meaningful people in my life. I, I felt so guilty and I felt so shameful because like with you, AYG, who also my buddy, Andrew, you're Shout out to AYG. AYG. Great man. You know, I would stay on his couch. Um, I felt like I let you guys down in a way where I was like, I don't think they know how much I appreciate it. Like I wouldn't be here without you. Right. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't be here without your generosity and kindness. And I was so afraid to talk to you guys, I guess about that, or I don't know why, man, I don't know why it was something I was very conscious of, but I was also put the blinders on. Cause I was like, I finally found it, James. You don't know what my life was like, yeah. I had like six different jobs. And, I was I was doing eighteen hour days, and I was Grandpa's so Buick, <laughs> Poppy's Buick. Um, so I finally found it, and I think I just rode the wave and put the blinders on a little bit, just to be like, I need to fully commit, and I don't have room in my life for the good stuff. I thought mm-hmm. at the time, right? Like I thought, like sacrifices need to be made. Same thing with my grandfather that passed away. I was so close to him. He's my step grandfather, but I was the closest to him. I went to like an improv practice, you know, the last time I could have seen him. And I I felt so guilty about that mm. for a year. They still kind of hold that with me to be like, this has to work. Out. First of all, the pre- that pressure is so stupid. But for a long time, I was like, this has to work out, James. Like, I have to put the blinders on and really make a go of this. And I don't have time to have fun, you know, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and take pictures anymore. Mm-hmm. That time's over. But I was like, that time gave my improv life. You know what I mean? That stuff yeah. with you, that feeds your art. Uh, but I don't think I realized it at the time. So it was just one of those things. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you knew some of that stuff or got a feel, had a feeling of some of that stuff. But that was it for my end. There was a lot of guilt. I was recognizing it, but I put blinders on. I put blinders yeah. on a little bit. 
Yeah. It's, and it was never lost love. There was never lost. Never, love. never. Yeah. Cause it's crazy. Cause I mean, I hear you talking right now and like, I feel it's funny. Like I feel the need to be like, no, no, no. Like it wasn't like, no, no. Right. Like, cause, because, uh, it was, it was so, it was so freaking special to watch your boy right? Your mm-hmm. boy do some cool stuff and, and mm-hmm. to watch it happen. Right. Like, I mean, I, I had the, 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 the benefit of proximity, right. And knowing some of the players involved and kind of how the, how the system worked. Um, and, uh, and there was never a moment where I was like, Oh, I guess I'm not, I'm not uh, good enough anymore for Don. Right. Like there was, it was literally, it's gone. Thought never even crossed yeah, my mind. That it, was always, yeah. it was always, it was always like, he is focused right now. And, yeah, that's a good word to use. Yeah, and and very it, focused, you were just yeah. you were super focused, right? I mean, you were yeah. laser sharp. Um, and uh, and it was I think there were times where I was envious of that focus mm-hmm. because I am I have so many things. I'm like, I want to do this, I want to go over here, I want to do that, right? Like there were all so many things that I want to do, and like and uh, and so whereas if there's ever a point where this ha- this happens to do with my ADHD as well, where it's like, you know, if I could just fucking hone in on here, what like what could I have accomplished if I just pointed the ship and gunned it? Um, mm-hmm. and so but watching you do that. And knowing how my brain worked, I was like, he's doing the thing. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Let the man go. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and let him go. That sounds a little ridiculous, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, uh, let him, let him, fly. boop. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, and, and so it's, it's, it's cool though, because, uh, though we weren't spending time together, um, there was never a moment where I didn't know that you didn't care about me. Um, and, and so this is where friendship is interesting mm-hmm. because, uh, because there are friendships that need a lot of attention. Yeah, there are friends that need a constant massaging and, and whatnot. And, and there's nothing wrong with those friendships. There's right. other friendships that you can put down and pick up and it kind of is, you know, and, uh, or, or, you know, like my best friends from home, we haven't seen each other in years, but it doesn't matter. Uh, we'll still make the same dumb jokes that we make and we'll still care about each other. And we'll right. talk about now. We, you know, now instead of talking about carburetors, we're talking about 401 K's <laughs> and uh, it's fine. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, but uh, there are people, there are people that round the corners of life with you. And there's mm-hmm. other individuals that stay on that old street. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that the friendship was meaningless. Doesn't mean anything. Um, right. And so uh I love that. Uh, I, I love that we've been able to kind of come back and intersect in each other's lives, and both been able to do some really cool shit um, in the interim. Um, yeah. But I, I mean, as you, as you think about friendship, mm-hmm. and as as people sometimes we beat ourselves up of like, am I being a good enough friend, or I haven't called them enough, and I haven't done this? Right. First off, let's go ahead. And, I forget what the number is. It's like, I think it's like 142 where there's, there's a scientific study that's out there. Where it's like, you can only hold so many people in your brain yeah. at one time. Right. I forget yeah, yeah. what the number is. Um, yeah. but, uh, and so there's that. It's like there's 150, that. 150. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Which was about the size of like a, a larger hunter gatherer, uh, colony. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so and, and it is so, again, genetic. That's amazing. I'll, I'm shout out to my 142 guests. Price is right rules. I did good. Um, <laughs> It might be 142. I'm, I might be wrong. No, I, I, <laughs> that was not me challenging you. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, 
I guess it, it's it's interesting. I'd be curious to hear your relationship with friendships, especially as someone who has left your comfort zone, which is New York City, northern New Jersey, moved across uh, the uh, the states with with a woman who you are emphatic about, um, and uh, and all the love in the world and all the partnership in the world. It's still that friendship still matters, right? Outside outside of 100%. marriage, friendships matter matter a lot, and yeah. so. How has the transition been for you with your friendships kind of as you've been going through, like, you know, you and I, again, we've ebbed and flowed and and our communication amounts. Um, But yeah, I'd be curious to hear. It's, it's been rough a little bit and that's on me, but there's the like, so for so long with a lot of my friends, I was like, they, so my big thing was like, I'm going to go away and I'm going to work on myself and then I'm going to come back and I'll be better for you. It's just never true. Like that's just not a true thing. Like that's how I always felt. Like I was like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like, because I don't know what I want really. Or like, I finally found like what I want. I'm going to go away and do this thing. And then I'm going to like be successful and then I'll be bet a better friend to you. And that's just a myth that I think I had in my head for a long time that served me poorly. Um, that I didn't um, put in the effort I should have and still still haven't in some regards with some some friends. The other big thing, James, is when you move away from a community, um, you know, that community still kind of goes on and, and it's a little easier to, to share history with people in that community and they're doing their own thing. So when you're kind of a drifter or you're, ambitious and you're I think I heard recently it's like Americans are like so into freedom and moving like like we like whereas back in the day like you stayed with your tribe and you stayed in your community I mean they they I'm sure I don't know if you read into this like the happiness projects and stuff like that and uh they they went into different uh, they found like the cities in the world where the oldest people live. So it was like Okinawa, Sardinia. They went mm-hmm. all over the place. There's these little pockets of people. There's like this little place in I think Arizona. Um, so all over the world, these pockets where like they have like the most hundred year olds. And they're like, what is the commonality? And damn it, it's community. Mm-hmm. It's friendships. But in that simple world, it was like I... Uh, make my fucking ventriloquist dolls and then me and Giuseppe like play chess. It's like your life is a little bit more in control, predictable. And you're, there's the content. There's a contentness, if that's a word um, in, in your life, right? When you're ambitious and you're moving and you feel a little out of control and you're sometimes you're, you know, things are a little, you're always kind of striving for more and more and more those meaningful relationships go by the wayside doesn't mean that they're not there and doesn't mean you can't just pick up with them. So I think nowadays the, when I moved out to LA, I don't necessarily have time for the, like, let's just talk about the weather friendships. The people I became close with out here is I can go to my buddy Joey's backyard. We can have a cigar and we talk deep about life and it's a really good two hours. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And, and it's trying to foster those. Now, it's there's so much reciprocity that needs to go on. You cannot take advantage of this. You have to be thinking about people. It's really hard though when you're a new parent. 
uh, yeah. because you're trying to keep a human alive and you don't necessarily have the capacity. What social media did is, and and kind of texting did was being like, everyone's available whenever you want. So you mm -hmm. kind of always feel like you have some people hovering, but nothing's meaningful. Like what we're doing right now feels meaningful because I yes. can see you. Mm -hmm. um, and And we love each other, right? So it's like, Oh, it's always good to connect with someone that you love and that you respect, right? Um, so I'm, I search for those kind of relationships and I, I'm, I'm trying to foster those. I do, don't think I do a good job because I often feel like I'm on a fucking raft with Wilson and <laughs> I'm just floating through the world, not exactly knowing if this is my calling, is yeah. what am I doing? That's my biggest fear, right? Like, is like, did I choose the wrong thing? Um, is it too late to change? Uh, am I doing what I'm supposed to be here doing? Am I doing my purpose? Yeah. You know what I mean? And I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know if I ever will know. Maybe. But that goes into the friendship thing. So it's like st I'm still in a spot where I have to be kind of selfish and I don't have the emotional capacity sometimes to develop friendships the way I think I want to because I'm so committed and want to do good i want to be a good boy uh and be a good friend and if i i go oh if i can't put 100 percent into that why do it but that's a yeah. myth that's not totally true like you could put 30 percent into it and that's still better than zero you know so right, long yeah. answer it's been difficult yeah. it's been a lot of ups and downs with that it's it's hard and, and i think you touched on something also where you talked about like you know going to my boy's backyard and having a cigar for a couple hours and a deep talk it's that not, I mean, where I get in my own head there is like, like I want to call somebody and have a real conversation, right? Like I want to have a real, a real moment. Like, I mean, <laughs> if you and I get on the phone, we got to block some time, right? Like, it's not like it's, we're not doing a, Hey, what's up? Right. I have a buddy of mine from college one of my best friends from college and my wedding party, and he loves to text. And I mm -hmm. literally told him, I was like, brother, I'm not going to, I will give you Super quick life updates, but I am not having long text conversations with yeah. you. This yeah. is not how I feel connected to you. <laughs> and like, I want to, I know you got two kids and they're young and you got, I was like, I was like, but I also know that they go to bed. I also know mm -hmm. that you got time at another point. And so like, that's okay if it's not this week or next week or whatnot, I don't need right. it to be once a month even. Right. Like, but right. like this little bullshit texting is not doing it for me. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and so then when it also comes down to, for me, where I get in my head is that as someone who enjoys a deeper conversation and wants to talk about life and how are we feeling, mm -hmm. I, uh, I write off in my head that people don't want to have that kind of conversation. And mm -hmm. so like people just want to, like you said, they want to talk about the other thing or let's talk about work or let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so that's where I get intimidated with making friends because I it's think like, they do though, James, I really do think they do. Yeah. Especially people that don't have like counselors or, or, or people to talk to professionally. Um, I really do think they do because I, I just think they're uncomfortable doing it and they don't know how because they never did. Mm -hmm. And you're probably the right person <laughs> to get that out of somebody. <laughs> and they'll let you know, right? Like you can always be like, if I'm, if I'm going, if we're going in a place where you just feel like completely uncomfortable, like I'll pivot with you. I don't give a shit, but I, I'm interested in you. You know what I mean? Like I care about you. So yeah that this thing had to be hard for you or it's like, it's like commiserating into the hard things about someone's life and, mm -hmm. and learning about what you might not know about them. 
had some difficult conversations with friends over politics and, um, and it was really tough, but like one of my friends, I felt like closer to when we have diametrically opposite views on what was going on with certain things, but yeah. I weirdly like was like, Hey man, I, re- I really respect, you know, you deeper just to mm-hmm. have this difficult conversation. Whereas a lot of our other buddies were staying on the outside and would pipe in with some ridiculous shit every now and then. But me and him were <laughs> not letting, not letting off the gas. Yeah. And, and he was angry with me for being nice to him about it. He's like, <laughs> why are you so nice about this? It's like, cause you have, I'm not telling you how to feel, man. Yes. You don't want to be in relationships where, where you're saying that they're high maintenance. I have no time for that. Literally have no time for that. Mm-hmm. And also where someone is telling you how you should be feeling. No human should tell another human how they should be feeling. Mm-hmm. Like that person has an, every right to feel however they want to feel. I don't care what the fuck you believe in, where your politics are. That person's feeling a thing because they have life experiences that brought them to this point to make them feel that way. They mm-hmm. might be misinformed. They might be all sorts of things. But you can't tell someone not to feel something because that is a reaction. When you tell someone to do that, you're telling them not to be them. And there's nothing more offensive. There's just nothing more <laughs> offensive. You will not get anywhere with anybody <laughs> yeah. if you tell them how to feel. You might disagree on what they're saying. But mm-hmm. to be like, you shouldn't be angry at this, though. You shouldn't feel this way. Like, why are you, je- you know, all the feeling stuff. You should never deny that, which goes back to acknowledging feelings. Like, start to acknowledge your friend's feelings. Like, Man, that must be hard. Yep. That must have made, that must have put you in a fucking weird head space. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be like a psychologist about it. Like, tell me more about that. Like, tell me more about that, man. Yeah, That's interesting. Right. I'm here for you to listen. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's it's. I think it does. It's also weirdly selfish. I always think like generosity is weirdly selfish because it makes you feel good. <laughs> you kind of do it in a way where you're like, yeah. man, having a meaningful conversation to learn about someone else actually makes me feel good. Because mm-hmm. why I liked improv is you're in the zone and you're connected with somebody that I feel like that's part of the meaning of why we're here. So yeah, a yeah, little for I mean, you, a little for me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, brother. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love the way you put that, man. And uh, I appreciate you and respect the hell out of you, dude. I think uh, I, I think it's just an interesting place, especially like you mentioned, for men to get to. Um, and uh, and also recognizing that uh, that people are in our lives and we need to appreciate them while they're there. Um, and recognizing that, you know, friendships don't have to last for lifetimes, but the, 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 that while that flame was lit, they're beautiful and bright and we can celebrate that. Um, and, uh, and, 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 you know, I hear yourself. Uh, one thing that you have done a lot in this conversation is you've said the word should, right. You should on yourself a lot. And that's a, uh, as, as a fellow, someone who shoulds on himself a lot. Um, I'll just <laughs> point that out. Um, and, uh, uh yeah. I think, I think you're, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think, I, I think we're trying. Um, and that's, and that's damn sure. And we can list a whole bunch of people that we wonder if they're trying. Um, and so I respect yeah. the hell out of you for yeah, trying. Same, same uh, yeah, all the research that you've done. We didn't even get to touch on Buddhism. We'll have to have you back. Uh, I got all sorts of questions about that as I start sure. doing a little more meditating um, and uh, and whatnot. But yeah. Don, uh, to use a phrase that you have said to me uh, with regards to our friendship, uh, I have never stopped rooting for you. Um, and uh, And it has been a damn pleasure 
getting to hang out with you, my yeah, guy. This is the best, dude. <laughs> <laughs> give a fuck who's watching this is just for great for us to talk yeah. no offense no offense no offense, no offense. <laughs> uh yeah oh, my hair uh, is insane i'm here Sorry. for it i'm here yeah. for it brother thanks Hoffer. so much for having me man thanks so much for having me congratulations on everything this is dope yeah, yeah. hell yeah dude always rooting for you man i appreciate you my guy we'll catch okay, you a little man. bit all right all right much love all right stay on for just a second dude my friends, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James, with my boy, Don Finelli. Uh, It was super special getting to have him here and just getting to kick it, talk that deep talk, y'all. I love it. I'm here for it. Serve me up another milkshake. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Um, so my friends, as always, uh, if you're uh, if you're listening to the podcast, um, please smash that subscribe button and share this with somebody that you thought. If you got a friend where you're like, hey, you know, I haven't really had, uh, I've I've been thinking a lot of these thoughts, but I haven't uh, I haven't really shared them, and uh, maybe this could be a cool way to start up a conversation with them, somebody you wish to reconnect with or just talk to a little bit more. Um, but uh, until next time, my friends, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. You all take care. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James. It was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth. <laughs> if you do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, come on now, you're going to make me blush. <laughs> also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, while we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.